This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Here you go. Here you go. Nothing personal word of the day is... Everyone got that? That was the nothing personal word of the day. Do you want me to say it again? Did you get that on tape, Coca? Nothing personal word of the day. Three, two, one. It's the sound of silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Jimmy Butler of the Miami Heat announced yesterday that he wants nothing on the back of his NBA uniform when the NBA restarts inside its Orlando bubble at the end of July. As you recall, there are 27 possible phrases that can be on the back of uniform, or you can put James or Davis or Butler. But Jimmy Butler has now appealed to the NBA and asked for a void, a nothing, silence. I think we've gone a little too far here. The NBA opened this Pandora's box, and now they cannot get it closed. Jimmy Butler has every right in the world to get on board with the complete anarchy that exists and say, I want no name on the back of my uniform, so when I score a basket, and that's two points by number nine, who is it? And by the way, what if you have equality, inequality on your uniform? Is that how you want to be referred to? Is that just a nickname on the back of the jersey? Is that in the box score? Is it your name on the box score, your number in the box score? I'm frustrated, and the reason I'm frustrated is that I don't want to take away from the efforts that people are making with the distraction of this conversation about what it is players want to do on jerseys. The jerseys are run by the teams and the leagues, not by the players. We give our jerseys and uniforms to the players who we choose to pay to be on our rosters. We give them the right to play for our team. That's how it is. Much like CBS gives me the right to come to you every day with nothing personal or to go on CBS Sports HQ. Without them, I don't have that right. Now, if they don't want me, I can choose all sorts of different possible platforms that can either benefit me and you, the listener and the viewer, or can hurt us. And your argument is that basketball players, they have nowhere to go. They've got to play in the NBA because that's, they're good enough to. That's the biggest platform. Why would they ever want to play anywhere else? 
Well, there are other professional basketball leagues. And if you don't like the way that the NBA operates or you don't like the way your team operates, you don't have to sign a contract with that team. I was never one to take lightly the argument when players didn't want to play or when they wanted to hold out, when they wanted to renegotiate contracts, because for me, it was a two-way relationship. We needed the players. The players needed us. That commonality of purpose and interest and selfishness is what makes the athletic merry-go-round continue. But now the NBA has put a tiny little kink in the armor. And the kink is, is it a, I don't think it's a kink in the armor. I have, you know what, Coca, have you learned that I mix metaphors and expressions and get them wrong in pronunciations? Just by the way, I got a call yesterday from a very loyal nothing personal viewer who I love, very loyal, who said, by the way, it's Senator Hawley, not Senator Howley. I got it wrong. I said, Senator Josh Howley. It's actually Senator Hawley. The point is, I'm okay with corrections. When I do something wrong, correct me. That was only one of the corrections. I got a second one. Remember Frank Wally, the big kahuna burger? And I thought that could have been Joanne Wally, Kilmer's brother. Turns out Joanne Wally has two L's, thanks to a loyal listener. Frank Wally has one L. Different names, not related. I was wrong. Now you've got the info. So I keep on mixing up metaphors and I get expressions wrong. It's just part of maybe the ounce of charm that I possess and maybe one half of my body. But that little kink in the armor that the NBA has is they've opened up the possibility for players. And I don't want players to shut up and dribble. That's never been my theory. I don't want players to have to stay in their lane. If players have views and they have opinions, I want to hear them. I want to learn from them and I want them to learn from me. I want to educate them on events of the world. I've taught as much to players as I've learned throughout the years. I love that open communication, sitting in a clubhouse or a locker. That's the biggest thing I would miss about social distancing and having the clubhouse closed is those moments in the clubhouse when there's so many hours to learn from players and to teach players and to talk about life. But now Jimmy Butler is trying to set an example by saying, I believe that my silence speaks volumes. I believe by having no name on my jersey, that is me sending a message. There's one thing we've learned at Nothing Personal. The best way to send a message is by articulating that message with words and actions. You could argue that an action is no name. An action is an expression. No. That's an item. An action is actually what you do when you start to effectuate change. Nothing personal word of the day. Hmm. You know what that means? We got ourselves a phone call. Here we go. Hello. <clears throat> hello. 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 Are you there? Hello. Yes. Yes. You've reached the NBA snitch line. Who may I say is calling? Um, I, 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 I don't want to give you my name, but I've got very, very important information. 
Uh, do you have information about an NBA player? Uh, I, I, I'm almost positive I do, but I was walking on the grounds of Disney and I saw, I saw a guy, I saw a guy shotgunning a beer. I, I think I've seen him play. I think his name is, is, um, is J.R. Ewing, J.R. Reed Ewing, J.R. Um, excuse me, sir. Are, are you talking about J.J. Redick? I don't know who I'm talking about, but is this the NBA snitch line? This is anonymous, right? Because I, I don't mean to snitch, but I, I, JJ was where he was drinking a beer and shotgunning a beer, and I thought he was within five feet, not six feet, of another guy. It was crazy, man. Um, where was this, please? This was in a in a tub with ice. What part of Disney? It all looks the same. All of your signage is so difficult to follow. I just know that if I dialed 1-800-SNITCH-NOW that I would reach you and that you would take it from here. Can I hang up now? Someone's coming. Someone's coming. I got to go. Um, excuse me, sir. I need more information. Hello? Hello? Okay. Uh, I must note, I got a call at 12.08 from someone reporting that J.J. Reddick has engaged in behavior, including beer guzzling within six feet. Two seconds later. This is literally two seconds later this happens. Wait for it. Hello? Yes, my name is John, and I'm here to snitch. Is this the snitch hotline with the NBA? Uh, yes, sir. How can I help you? I, there's been some dribbling. Uh, excuse me? There's been some dribbling. There's dribbling going on. Dribbling, I say. Dribbling. Um, who, who is this? It's the snitch line. Isn't this the snitch line? On the snitch line, I don't got to say who I am. I'm just telling you there's dribbling, and that's a violation. Um... Excuse me, sir. Sir, I think, sir. Who is dribbling? Well, how the hell should I know who's dribbling? I just hear it right upstairs. Well, I'm sorry. What what hotel are you in? I don't know. Well, how how excuse me, you're snitching by definition. If you're snitching, you're supposed to tell me where you are and who violated the NBA bubble so we can take note. Well, no one told me that's what the snitch was for. I thought the snitch was to tell you that someone's dribbling. Sir, could you please call back when you have a better idea of who you're snitching on? Uh, note to file. Snitch call from 1210 from an unidentified flying object complaining of dribbling, apparently in a hotel. Unclear what was dribbled. Unclear who did the dribbling. Please file that. Thank you. Two seconds later, literally, the phone's ringing off the hook. What are you supposed to do about it? Hello, this is the NBA snitch line. How can I help you? 
Hi, my name's David Sampson, and I'm calling from South Florida, and there are people here not wearing masks, and I was just wondering whether or not that you'd be able to potentially suspend James Harden and Russell Westbrook because I really would like the Lakers to win the title, and also I saw Kawhi Leonard, and he was in a place where I know he shouldn't have been. Um, ex- excuse me, this is the NBA snitch line. Um, what was your name again? Yeah, my name's Samson, S-A-M-S-O-N, like Delilah with the hair. And I saw a bunch of NBA players, and they were doing things that I know they shouldn't be doing. Where are you located, Mr. Samson? I'm in Fort Lauderdale. Um, sir, the snitch line is for Disney in Orlando. Well, I looked on a map, and I was listening to the Governor DeSantis, and he said that we have so many things going on in Florida, Orlando, and Miami, and Fort Lauderdale. I thought it was the same thing, and I could have sworn that I saw Kawhi Leonard and James um, Sir, James Harden just got to the bubble. He's now in quarantine. There is no possibility that he's violated the bubble. He just got to the bubble. Well, I'm telling you that I saw someone with a very long beard just now running on the beaches of Fort Lauderdale. Very long beard, like it had been growing for 122 days or something. Well, this is the NBA Orlando snitch line, and I'm very sorry. There's nothing I can do. Thank you. This is what's happening, folks, in Orlando. Yesterday, I reported the snitch line had gone unused. Today, I'm reporting. I'm not reporting. I'm not a reporter. I don't have sources. Yesterday, it was reported that the NBA snitch line had never been used. Now it's being reported the NBA snitch line has been used. These calls are but an example of what could it have been. Are people passing J.J. Redick and Myers Leonard who are shotgunning beers in a tub of ice? Are people seeing players go to get food, go golfing where they shouldn't be golfing, eat at restaurants where they shouldn't be eating? Jimmy Butler dribbling in his hotel room. True story. He was dribbling in his hotel room. Why? Eyewash. Give me a break. I just don't know how the snitch line's going to work. And by the way, are we going to have anything released to us? You know when you have like 911 calls? Hi, this is 911. How can I help you? And then you get to hear the call and it's tragedy and they have to redact it and bleep it out. And then you hear certain things but not others. I'm just curious. Any way the NBA releases any of the snitch calls? Any chance? because those are some calls that I would like to talk about on Nothing Personal. Hi, I tried to get up to room 1742, but my key's not working. I'd like to snitch on the guy in 1742 because he told me that the room would be available. And I was going to make a quick 400. I'm snitching. Come on, they're not releasing those tapes. More opt-out news today. Isn't that amazing what it's come down to? We're supposed to have sports beginning. Today is July 15th, 2020. It's a Wednesday. Usually Wednesday would be Survivor. They just pulled Survivor from the fall schedule on CBS. There will be no season 41 of Survivor this fall. They supposed to. They were supposed to film in Fiji this summer. Fiji's not allowing people on the island. They don't have an agreement. They can't get the crew back. They can't get the cast back. They were hoping to film in September. They're not going to be filming it. There's no survivor. They're actually going to show on CBS the amazing race, which had been in the can for a couple of years. They filmed it before COVID. So Wednesday's for me are survivor days, but no survivor. But today is Wednesday. And in about two weeks, July 30th, which is 15 days, we're supposed to start NBA basketball. How about in eight days, we're supposed to start Major League Baseball? It's on. It's happening. 
And yet there are still players who are choosing to opt out in Major League Baseball. There are players who are trying to figure out what to do in the NBA. There are players figuring out what to do in the WNBA, hockey, everywhere. There's a lot of confusion about it, so I want to clear up two things. In baseball, there was a rule made when the league and the players forced that agreement, as you recall. And that says that if you are a player who is considered high risk, you can opt out of the season and continue to get paid. If you're a player who is not high risk, you can opt out of the season, but not get paid. So when David Price opted out, he's not considered high risk. He can opt out. He's not playing for the Dodgers. He's not getting his prorated salary of $32 million this year. He gave up about, I don't know, was it $12 million? $11.9 million. But if the player is high risk, let's say there's some questions about Anthony Rizzo right now. His back hurts. He's a cancer survivor. He's got some worries. There is no indication that he's going to opt out. But if he were to opt out, he would continue to get paid. And one little other nugget, when you opt out, and it's been incorrectly reported, so I want to make sure it's very clear to everybody. When you opt out and you're not high risk like a David Price, you are D-O-N-E, done, done for the year. But if you opt out because of risk, you can then apply to opt back in at any time during the course of the season. There will be a committee who reviews whether or not you should be allowed to play, whether or not it's safe, whether or not you're endangering yourself or your teammates or the rest of the league. But there is an opportunity to opt back in if you opted out because you were high risk. So as players are deciding what to do, they are making those decisions for myriad reasons. They're making it based on health, family's health, money, opportunity. Anthony Descalfani of the Cincinnati Reds said, my wife's pregnant. I can opt out. I need to get to free agency because he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. If he opts out and he's not high risk, which he's not, and then he doesn't get credit for this year, which he wouldn't, that means he would be delaying his free agency. And that is a very expensive proposition. So he admitted, he said, well, I can't, I simply can't. Which means players are choosing, in theory, between health and money. And that should cause an outcry. But it doesn't with me. Why? Because every day we make choices that are based on money, health, quality of life. When you choose to go to work every single day, are you choosing because you need the money, want the money? Are you choosing it because you love your work so much that you don't care that you would do it for free? 99.9% of the people go to work because they have to go to work. 0.1% goes to work because they want to go to work. I understand that there are risks of going to work. Heck, I just said heck, by the way, Coca. Do not let me say heck. That's like saying, gosh darn, gee whiz. Hell, I go drive on 95 to get to the studio in Fort Lauderdale with CBS. That's taking my life in my own hands every day. Of course, quarantine has stopped that. I now commute from the bedroom to the living room. But the point is the same. We all make decisions and we calculate the cost and benefit of those decisions, the risk and reward of those decisions, and we weigh it. And then we decide. Anthony Descalfani has been forced to make a decision. I get it. There would be other jobs he could take that would make him more comfortable from a health standpoint, but he would have no chance to earn what he's earning as a professional baseball player. That's just how it goes. And whatever he decides, I respect him, 
but I also don't want to say that I feel badly that he has that decision to make. What about Elena Deladane? Who's that, you ask? She's a WNBA superstar, multi-time all-star, major player in the WNBA, and she's had Lyme disease since 2008. She was asked whether or not she should opt out. She spoke to her agent. She spoke to her doctors, and the doctor said that she should opt out because while there's no proof that Lyme disease will make having COVID riskier to her body or make Lyme disease worse for her, there is a possibility that it could. But Lyme disease is not on the schedule of pre-existing conditions that would lead her to be considered high risk. And in the WNBA, if you're not high risk and you opt out, then you don't get paid. So Elena Deladane decided to appeal. She tried to opt out and it's Elena Deladon. Sorry, Coca. Thank you. Elena Deladon tried to opt out. The WNBA and the WNBA Players Association got a bunch of doctors together, which is what they do. They have a hearing, and together they made a decision that she does not qualify as high risk. Forgetting what her doctor said, forgetting the fear that she feels, the doctor clearly said it is a risk if she plays. She now has to decide what she does because either she goes back to work for WNBA and plays and then risks some sort of long-term issue with her Lyme disease, which by the way, forces her to take 64 pills per day. So she now has two choices and she said the quote perfectly. I can either risk my life or forfeit my paycheck. It's possible that it's not risking her life by playing basketball. It's possible that COVID would not have long-term impacts and make the Lyme disease worse. It's not definite. It's possible. It's also possible that she is exposed to other types of viruses during the course of a season that also could have a deleterious impact on her condition as suffering from Lyme disease for the last 12 years. We just don't know. But she now is in a very public way making this decision. What do you think? Do we criticize her if she chooses not to play or do we laud her? Do we criticize her if she chooses to play or do we feel sorry for her? Do we root for her to win? Do we root for her to be safe? Do we do a GoFundMe and try to get her her salary for not playing? These are not easy questions. Let me tell you where I stand. Playing sports is risky. You are risking your physical well-being every time you play. Just like boxers risk their mental well-being. MMA fighters risk their long-term mental well-being. Boxers, football players. You think concussions aren't real? Remember the quote we gave? Oh, Coca. I think it was a Washington Redskins player who said that when I'm a grandfather, if I can remember my grandchildren's name, then I didn't play hard enough. We did a segment on it on Nothing Personal where we said no longer can we argue about assumption of risk. Of course, players know what they're assuming. I'm not sure there's a bigger difference for Elena this year than there was in any other previous year. Of course, there's uncertainty about COVID-19, but when you've got Lyme disease, there's uncertainty everywhere. Lyme disease is a brutal, brutal affliction. I feel terribly for her. 
but the decisions that we're asking players to make, we're only asking them to make, by the way, that's another dollar, Coca. I'm not asking them. I'm not asking anyone to make any decisions. What the WNBA is asking her to do is to just make a decision. Do you want to play or not, knowing that we have an agreement with the union over the protocols, over keeping you safe, and by the way, we had the union as part of the committee which ruled that you don't have the right to opt out and still get paid. Of course, there's a very big difference. And Coca and I discussed this a little during the pre-show. And we need to point out the witness for Elena Deladon in her, shall I say, appeal to the Players Union and to the WNBA was her own personal doctor who's been treating her for Lyme disease since 08. Totally different than a team doctor. The team doctor is employed by the team. A lot of our players have personal doctors, but there is an agreement with the union in baseball that if you want to go to your personal doctor, it's got to be a pre-approved doctor on a list that the union and the league has gotten together and collectively approved. You can't go to some quack on the corner of state and Maine. If you want to go to your own personal doctor, it's got to be pre-approved. The WNBA may very well have a similar rule, and Elena's personal doctor may very well be approved, but that does not carry any weight when it comes to what the team doctor views as his or her responsibility toward the team, toward the player, toward the league. That has caused major angina with players before, where we've had arguments, and you've seen it with a bunch of players. Carlos Beltran's big fight with the Mets came when he disagreed with what the team doctor was doing to treat him. I've had many players complain about our team doctors with the Marlins. They were complaining, saying, this guy doesn't know this. This guy's too old. This guy's too busy in self-promotion. This guy likes to be a cutter, and I mean likes to do surgeries. This guy's not a cutter. I need the surgery. Every player who's hurt is going to have issues with team doctors, with trainers, because they view that the doctors and the trainers are carrying the water for the front office. player today and the possibility of a long-term prognosis given a player's health. It's not in my best interest to sign a player or to pay a player who's not going to be able to perform. If I think that Elena Deladon is going to get sick faster or differently than other players during the course of this WNBA bubble, I don't want her there because that may hurt our entire team. So I'm not telling my team doctor to have a certain finding or a certain result of a certain meeting. Now, by the way, We don't let the team doctor make final decisions. The team doctor gives us his opinion, her opinion, their opinion, and then we decide as a front office which direction we're going to go. That's all that happened here in her case. It's going to be a lot of questions like this as the seasons continue. And the seasons, they are continuing. We are eight days away, Coca. Eight days a week. It's going to be great. So you want to talk to Samson. Segment time. This is when, if we had better equipment, Coco would be playing music. I don't know if Coco would choose that music to play. He may, he may not. But the segment is, he's telling me he wouldn't play that. He probably has no idea what that is. Coco, have you ever heard of what that tune is? Do you have any idea? 
Do you know who Bob Barker is? All right, he wants me to get to say so you want to talk to Samson. All right, I'm getting to it. So get in my DMs. Follow me on Twitter, David P. Samson. Here was the question. On Friday's podcast, I don't know which Friday, I don't know when I got this question. So if you follow me at Twitter, David P. Samson, get into my DMs, ask a question. I may get to it on the air, I may not, I may respond, I may not, but if it's cool and interesting and topical and like an ointment, I'll get to it. On Friday's podcast, you talked about the idea of mob mentality when talking about Deshaun Jackson. Why do you feel there was a much bigger reaction over Drew Brees' comments on the flag than there was for Deshaun Jackson's comments about anti-Semitism and Hitler. Hmm. I like this one. We chose this for a reason today. I did talk about mob mentality and the dangers of mob mentality on a previous show. Why is it that Drew Brees got a bigger reaction for when he talked about the flag and said that he will never kneel and you can't kneel, I don't want to kneel, you shouldn't, disgrace the flag. Do you remember however many weeks ago it was that Drew Brees absolutely got torched? And then he went on the apology tour. He did a statement. His wife did a statement. They did a statement. Then he did this apology, this apology, and that apology. It got a lot of attention. Why is that? Drew Brees is a Hall of Fame football player, one of the greatest players of all time. And he talked about something that impacts everybody. The flag. Here in America, you have an opinion on the flag, whether you're on the right side of the aisle, the left side of the aisle, whether you like sports or don't like sports, you have an opinion about the flag. Deshaun Jackson is far less known than Drew Brees. And he talked about Hitler and it was anti-Semitic. Of course, that didn't get more attention. Do you know how many Jews there are in this country, in this world? Jews are such a minority when it comes to numbers that it's barely, it barely registers. There are more people who don't care about Hitler and genocide and racial cleansing and anti-Semitism than there are all of Jews on the earth. There's more people who don't care that Deshaun Jackson quoted Hitler than, let me see if I can get the math right. There are more people who don't care than there are people who cared about the Drew Brees flag incident. Think about that statement for a minute. The Drew Brees flag incident and flap, the flag flap, was gargantuan. It was on national news. It was everywhere. Yet there were still more people who didn't care about it than all of the people who care about Deshaun Jackson and his anti-Semitic comments. That's just the math. And the mob mentality is involved because you don't know which way the mob is going to go. But the way it happens is that once they start, they don't stop. But what gets them to start is a collective movement. They see something and then it goes viral and then they care about it and then they join it and then they just go literally straight ahead without even understanding what direction they're going, without fully understanding the issues, without taking a minute to breathe or without taking a beat. 
They join in and go straight ahead, blinders on. And then they get there. The mob celebrates the fact that they got there. And then they turn directions like the wind and move somewhere else. But in order for the mob to become engaged, and I'm not talking the Gotti family, I'm not talking Ray Liotta, I'm talking about the mob mentality, sort of the group effort. It has to be on a subject that is highly and hugely impactful. It's not even a question to me. I appreciate your so you want to talk to Samson question. To me, it was obvious when Deshaun Jackson did what he did that it would impact me more than others and that I would make sure that I gave it attention on this platform. And it got a little bit of attention. Nothing like Breeze. Nothing ever will. So you want to talk to Samson. I appreciate it. When we come back, I don't think you're going to be able to resist me. Welcome back. Nothing personal. I'm still watching movies, TV shows. I watched one recently, maybe last week, this week. I can't remember what. A new movie with Steve Carell, and it's called Irresistible. Irresistible is with Rose Byrne, who's, by the way, everywhere. She was phenomenal playing Gloria Steinem in Mrs. America. You may know her from Bridesmaids, but she's really been in a bunch of things. Her star is rising. Steve Carell is someone who uh, you probably know him from 40-Year-Old Virgin, maybe Bruce Almighty, Evan Almighty. I loved him in Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. I loved him in Dan in Real Life. He really has a lot of great movies. Coca knows him exclusively from The Office, which I've never seen an episode of. I guess I should watch The Office at some point, never watched it. Although I do like John Krasinski. When did he become such a hunk, by the way? Anyway, I digress. So Steve Carell released a new movie, and it was on pay-per-view. So this was 1999 on my cable station because it was supposed to be in theaters. And it is about a political operative from the left side and a political operative from the right side. It doesn't matter who's who because it's not the point of the story. The point is what people do to get other people elected and how insane it is that you would have a movie. And the reason why it was done, and I appreciate Coca just reminded me that I needed to talk about who wrote it and directed it. And uh, it's very informative for you to know who wrote it and directed it because it may give you an idea of what you're watching and you may then not want to watch it. It was written and directed by Jon Stewart and that slipped my mind. Thank you, Coca. Why is that important? You know Jon Stewart. You've watched Jon Stewart. You know he's extremely political. He's very much on the left side of the aisle. So when you watch this movie, you may be concerned that that is what it is going to be, a very biased picture and very pro-Democrat and anti-conservative. I didn't take the movie that way at all, as a matter of fact. I took it much more that it was an indictment of our entire political system. The movie is about a small town and it actually happens to be in Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin. I love northern Wisconsin, by the way. And it's Steve Carell is a nationwide, very important Democratic strategist who moves to northern Wisconsin to try to get Chris Cooper elected as mayor of a small town that no one's ever heard of. By the way, Chris Cooper, go see Adaptation if you haven't seen that with, with – uh, Meryl Streep and um, Nicolas Cage. Chris Cooper's simply phenomenal in everything. 
So John Stewart does this movie and I'm watching and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And I realized that the point of the John Stewart movie was not for us to think that Democrats have all the answers and Republicans have no answers or that Democrats are the greatest and Republicans stink. No, the point is that our system by definition has priorities completely back assward. The reason why I'd like you to watch Irresistible, it's not Steve Carell's best movie. It is sloppy in a lot of ways. Uh, not a terrible first effort for Jon Stewart. I found it to be fine from a directorial standpoint, from an acting standpoint. Rose Byrne is a caricature of this crazy woman um, who is uh, very good at what she does. But at the end of the day, the lesson was sort of like the lesson at the end of War Games, where if you play global thermonuclear war, everybody loses because the entire world disappears. In politics, the point was that if you've got the fighting that's going on, the partisanship that's going on, we all end up losing because the focus becomes so much on putting money into these races, tens of millions and hundreds of millions of dollars. Watch the movie, Irresistible. It's only like an hour and a half, hour 45 Maybe it's two hours. I can't remember the running time. Either way, I was interested. You may be too. Irresistible. Okay. I want to talk about Jay Happ. I don't normally want to talk about Jay Happ. I don't like talking about the Yankees necessarily. There's not always a lot to say about them that hasn't been said. But I think it would be good to learn a little bit about Jay Happ. He is a uh, pitcher. He pitched for a bunch of teams. I think he pitched for the Blue Jays for a bit. He was signed by the Yankees to a long-term deal. He's been okay, hurt. He's a middle-of-the-rotation guy, middle-of-the-back-end-of-the-rotation guy. Fine, right? Not earth-shattering. What is interesting about this story is that he has a contract that has a vesting option in 2021 for $17 million. What a vesting option is, when you sign a player to a long-term deal, you sign them for, let's say it's reported to you, three years plus an option. That means that there's a set salary for three years. And then in the fourth year, it's an option year, which means one of three things. One, it's a team option, which means the team can say to the player by a certain date, we are opting to keep you. And by the way, teams only pick up the options of a player if they believe that that player is worth more than what the option is. So if the option is for 17 million, but you know that this pitcher is worth 25, you're going to pick up that team option and pay him 17. The second type of option is a player option. A player option is the player has the choice whether he tells the team, I accept a contract for this fourth year or I reject it. The way a player decides if the player option is for 17 million is the player tampers with the other 29 teams and says, will you pay me more than 17? Will you pay me more than 17? Will you pay me more than 17? And if anybody says yes, that player says to the team, I decline the option. I'm going to this team for $17.2 million. That's a player option. Those are never good for the team. And team options are never good for the player. Third kind a vesting option. Now, don't at me and tell me that a mutual option is a kind of option. Because you see that reported? It's a mutual option for a fourth year. It's a bunch of horse hockey. Mutual options don't exist. Because 
if you're the team and it's a mutual option, you are only going to agree to it if it's to your advantage. And if it's to your advantage, the player's not going to agree to it. And in a mutual option, the player has to agree too. And if the mutual option is only in the player's best interest and the player exercises the mutual half of the option, the team is going to say, sayonara, not interested. So mutual options, I don't count. They don't count. They are not options. Team option, player option, third type is a vesting option. I like vesting options. Vesting options mean that if X and or Y happen, then your salary in 2021 will be Z. It's not an option that the team or the player controls. Wink, 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 wink. I'm going to come back to that. Wink, wink. The team has no control over a vesting option. Wink, 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 wink. The player has no control over a vesting option. Wink, wink. I'm winking my right eye now. I'm winking my right eye on, on YouTube. Nothing personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Winking. What am I talking about? I'm talking about what we do to control vesting options. Vesting options have to do with things that happen on the field. You sign a pitcher to a three-year deal plus a vesting option. It usually means if you pitch X number of innings in the final year of your deal and X plus Y number of innings in the last two years of your deal, plus you have 150 innings pitched in the last year or 280 innings pitched in the last two years, then the vesting option vests. It's pretty cut and dry. Not so fast. We would keep track of player vesting options because we like to put those in long-term deals. And we keep track. Each year, we would know which players needed what to activate and trigger those vesting options. And we would make sure that we would communicate with the player and the manager and the GM. We'd all talk and say, here's where we stand. First, the owner and the president would talk. Then the president and the GM would talk. Then the GM and the manager would talk. Then the president and the manager would have to talk. Then the owner and the manager would have to talk. You think I may know what I'm talking about? And then eventually, the manager is going to speak to the player. And then the president will do a sneak around, a little reach around and speak to the player, just so there's communication. Because there's a lot of room for nefarious behavior. If you know that your pitcher needs 100 innings to activate a vesting option and you don't want to activate that vesting option, you're going to make sure the manager does not allow that pitcher to pitch 100 innings. If you are a player who needs 200 at-bats to activate an option and the option is below your market value, as a player, you're not going to want to take those 200 at-bats or 100 at-bats. You're going to do everything you can to not have that option vest. Countless times I've been called by agents. Let's talk about this vested option. We got to change it. Well, if it's good for me, I'll talk about it. If it's bad for me, I won't talk about it. So Jay Happ has a vesting option for 2021 and the Yankees and the league and the Players Association have no agreement right now how to treat Happ's vesting option. It used to be for 27 starts or 165 innings. If he had that in 2020, then he'd get 17 million in 21. Guess what? There's no chance he'll get 27 starts. There's only 60 games. 
the union and the league got together and agreed how they would deal with these sort of bonuses and vesting options. They were going to prorate them. So for Jay Happ, if he did 10 starts or 61 innings pitched, then his option would be vested at $17 million. But the Yankees said, no, we're not going to allow this. We won't vote for this. The league agreed, and the league went to the players' union and said there's a list of players where the rules will not apply, and there'll have to be a renegotiation. So the Yankees have to negotiate with Jay Happ what they're going to do about this vesting option, and if they can't come to an agreement, it's going to an arbitrator. That's how serious the Yankees don't want Jay Happ's option to vest for $17 million next year. What Jay Happ may not realize is no matter what the arbitrator decides about what the levels of innings pitched and start should be, I'll bet you a dollar right now, one of the dollars in the jar, Coca, that Jay Happ will not vest his $17 million option for 2021. It's day 122 of the beer challenge, but you know that. Wait to see. This is a good one. Get ready. No fast food chains will follow Burger King's lead. That's the way to see. Let's say in the next two months. What the hell am I talking about? It was released yesterday that Burger King will now be adding 100 grams of lemongrass to the diet of their cows. 100 grams of lemongrass. (laughs) Do you know why? They don't want the cows to fart anymore. Because when cows fart, when they're digesting, it releases methane gas into the environment, and that's not good for the environment. So Burger King stepped up and said, guess what? We're going to do our part for the environment. We are going to make sure that our cows eat lemongrass. And when they eat lemongrass, they're going to fart less. And the meat's going to taste just as good. Hey, folks, wait to see. McDonald's, all the other Wendy's, all of them, none of them are going to start feeding lemongrass to their cows. Give me a fart and break. Let me tell you something about Burger King and lemongrass. If Burger King didn't think that feeding its cows lemongrass would be helpful to Burger King and the platform they have on the environment, they never would have made this announcement. They want you to go to Burger King because the cows are not farting as much as they used to. They want you to feel better about doing a Whopper. You really want to help the environment? Eat as much red meat as you can. Get rid of all the cows. Don't be a vegetarian. You have to be a red meat eater nonstop 21 meals a week. Eat all the cows then they won't be able to fart as much. And from Burger King's standpoint, you know why they did it, because they watch the show. When it comes to cow farts, it's just business. It's nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. 